ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing. There is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make sense. Hi everyone. I eventually get to speak to my friend Lee today. It took us quite a few cancelled arrangements before we finally got to sit down and have this chat. We had our conversation in the lounge of his apartment in Lakeside. The view is spectacular, looking out over the Zandvlei Nature Reserve, Marina de Gama and Musenberg Beach. What a perfect setting for a beautiful soul chat. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. I'm not going to say much more, as the chat is already quite long. So, I shall let the talking do the talking. This podcast is supported by the first layer, the 12-step workbook on working the 12 steps in any addiction in 21 sessions. There is also a 24-day coaching and counseling program available based on the first layer. For some more information in this regard, go to www.freddy.org.za and click through from the notices at the right of the homepage. Enjoy Lee's journey. Mr. Lee. Hello. Eventually this happens. Yeah. <laughs> A lot later than I should have. I am so, so grateful. Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. I only now notice that tattoo. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a little half moon crescent because my mom and my sister also have a moon tattoo, but yeah. we each got our own design. Okay. Just to honor our family. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. So I just went minimal. Lovely. Yeah, hand poke. Fabulous. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Do all your, your tattoos have a specific meaning for you? Um, kind of. This is surrender backwards. Oh, cool, yeah. So when I look <laughs> in the so mirror, it so it's only really well oh, when you stand in the mirror. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. Um, I got ants up my arm when I was 21. I was very high <laughs> in, in Dublin. <laughs> and I have some scripture over here. And um, I have a little mushroom on my lower back. Again, I was high when I was 15. And, 15? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then I got this one. That's your recent one. Yeah. I love that one. It's an ode to my inner child. Mm. So, Did yeah. you read a lot as a child? I still read, yeah. Is it? It's my fantasy addict. Okay. Big time. And what type of stuff do you read? For my most of my life, I've read um, autobiographies. Okay. Autobiographies. And then when I first came into recovery, a lot of like self-help stuff, a okay. lot of um, 12-step literature. Cool. At the moment... I picked up a book called The Malazan Books of the Fallen, which is like <laughs> the Malazan Books of the Fallen, right? Okay. So it's this amazing 10 book series that is, it's like a punk version of fantasy. It's really dark and edgy. And oh my God. I'm on book seven after like two years. Okay. Because I really needed a break from like all the self-help yeah. recovery stuff. You I know, know, I do enough of it. So I needed like a gentle yeah. escape. There's a time for recovery reading, and that's yeah. in the morning. Yeah. But when I read to relax, I read to relax. Cool. What do you I, read? I read bullshit. Is it? I read absolute bullshit. <laughs> um, none, don't give me intellectual stuff. I mean, my husband said to me at some stage, one of the best books ever is you must read Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Okay. Oh, my God. So I picked it up, and I started reading it, and I thought, this is crap. Yeah. I don't understand this, but I pushed through. And the more I read, the more I thought, I suppose it will make sense. 
Have you ever read it? No. But it's very philosophical, and I didn't understand the kind of base philosophical principle, but I thought that it will get clearer, but it didn't, because all that happened is he added another level on top of that base. So the further I went to the book, the less cool. I understood. Okay, wow. Until after a month or so long, three quarters in the book, I thought, fuck this shit, you know? And I'm obsessive compulsive. I don't not finish stuff. But yeah, that's yeah. one of the very few books in my life that I put down. And, and really? Yeah. No, it was not relaxing. It made me feel bad about me because mm. I couldn't understand what was going mm. on. I felt stupid and I felt incompetent. Sure. So, no. I read. I also love autobiographies. Yeah. Also sports people, but generally like in Dame Judy Dench and, oh, cool. and stuff nice. like that, athletes and anything. Yeah, musicians, is, I'm a big fan mm. of musician biographies. So. I've read PJ Powers. Oh, cool. What's it called? Here I Am. Okay, cool. Oh, something like that, yeah. Nice. So that's what I read, and I love fantasy. I love mm. fantasy. At the moment, I'm reading the Chronicles of Narnia for my inner child. Yeah, so you if, told me. Every yeah. night before I go to bed, and we are so loving it. That's amazing. It, every night a chapter, and I feel so close to him. Mm. So you grew up in Johannesburg. I did. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I grew up in Joburg. In the um, affluent northern suburbs. Yeah, <laughs> affluent. <laughs> but just before I start there, I want to just say, like, going just before we get into that, like, I. But on the whole inner child thing, I've just started a course called The Artist's Way. Oh my God, okay. Have you heard about it? Yes. So many people I know yeah. have done it and do it yeah. in conjunction with their recovery stuff. Oh, really? And they all say it is amazing. Yeah. A lot of them don't feel grounded while they're not doing artist work. Sure. So like everything in life, they move into it and then you move out. And when yes. they move out, they feel the difference. Yes. So when did you start? I with started this? yesterday, actually. Oh, cool! My friend bought me a book to honor our friendship. Okay. So got delivered this week. Oh, and you then, wrote your three pages this morning. Yeah, yesterday. Yes. So and then said, in the meeting, yeah. When so I, when you said you, you've done your three pages, I thought yeah. that sounds artist work. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I started that, and it's all about inner child work, and like I believe I have like a, a creative monster within me, but he's a gentle kind, and like it's a whole work around rediscovering that sort of stuff, you know, which I've kind of. Because I focus so in intensively on recovery and just sometimes trying to get through life, I kind of neglect the, the creative child, yeah. you know. Because so. you are creative. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to... Everyone tells me I am. I doubt myself all the time. I don't think I even know what you do for a living, but it, I just yeah. I just assume that it must be in the creative field. I work on TV shows. I'm an editor. Okay. I'm a video editor. Yeah. And is that creative? It has its moments. Okay. I think it depends on the content you're working on. But I've been working on a, a show, uh, a magazine show. It's been going forever. Okay. I'm not going to mention the name, but um, I've been working on that, and that's pretty like monotonous. Yeah, that's okay. the word. Yeah. So I try. I'm trying to tap into other creative ways. Uh, I've always my background is a writer. Okay. So um, I used to write and direct uh, promos for Super Sport. Oh, whoa. So I worked at a production company for about six years. Okay. Doing creative work, like on my business card, it said I was a creative. So okay. I was a writer, director, producer. Yeah, but I lost that job. Oh, hence the the, the, the love for sport. Or I've course. always like I have a deep love of sport. Okay, but I mean I can take you through my journey if you yeah, want. Yeah, please, so, like, please, please, please. That's what we're here for. Cool, man. So basically, I was born in Mowbray in Cape Town. My dad is an alcoholic. Oh. My mom codependent. My dad was also a sex addict. So. He slept around a lot when he was with my mom. Okay. Right? He was having an affair when I was born. He gave my mom a disease. So she had like nine miscarriages before oh I was born. God. So like I was the first baby to survive. Okay. 
So I think from that, my mom and I had a very extremely close close bond, you know, okay. and it was a bit unhealthy. I think it was a, a certain level of emotional incest that, that happened in that relationship. Enmeshment. Mm. You know, I was responsible for her well-being for yeah. a very long time. Yeah, so born in Cape Town, uh, moved up to Joburg when I was four or five. And I was always a very sensitive, very quiet, introverted, shy child. You know, I'm Pisces. So, oh, uh, <laughs> when's your birthday? 16th of March. Oh, March yeah. 8th. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, uh, growing up, I was always, and I was always very insecure. My dad was a very hands-on father, though, like when he was around. But you know, like I was exposed to hectic things. And yeah. We found him high on cocaine, like passed out. Like he basically od in his office the one night. Okay. If I stare out the window, I tend to do that a lot while I talk. So just excuse that. <laughs> it's difficult not to stare at the window from where we sit. That's beautiful. I've got the beautiful view. You do. I'm, I'm, doing, the, I'm doing the most fabulous podcast recently. <laughs> I was sat in a lounge the other yeah. two, week, two, three weeks ago. Yeah. We just had this beautiful lookout on, on Lion's Head and the paragliders were just cool. kind of swirling around. This is so awesome. And Jimmy's sitting looking out on, this is, no, what is this? No, I don't know. It's lakeside. Lakeside something. It's yeah. like, I don't even know what, it's called the Flay. Yeah. But I don't know what the name is. And just over there is Marina da Gama. Yeah. And no, it's a beautiful view. Yeah, it's like that. Lee, you used to what dad was? As yeah, he, as he passed. As no, so basically, what happened was that my folks got divorced when I was nine, okay. which just shattered my world. I blamed myself, and um, you know, so I, I saw my dad for a couple of years after that. But we were very, very poor. My mom, myself, and my brother, we were homeless for a while, and then we. My mom was working for a company, and the company had like a caretaker's apartment and an office block that we could rent. Okay. So we lived in there for about three years. Wow. But it was weird because my dad was my hero growing up. As soon as they got divorced, like I never heard from him. I mean, I'd see him every second weekend, but he was living in like five bedroom houses, you know, with his cocaine addicted girlfriend and like, but he never once contributed school fees, oh, wow. never helped us with anything. So that was really confusing. At the time, I think I thought it was just normal. Like I just thought this is what happens in relationships when yeah. people got divorced and so I never really thought about it much. It's only through the, the work that I've done in the recent years that I think it was quite dysfunctional. Yeah. So we were very poor. And then I saw my dad for maybe like two years after the divorce, three years maybe. And then I, then he just disappeared for like 12 years. Never so saw from him. about when you entered um, adolescence yeah. until, oh my word. Yeah. Okay. So when I was about 24... One of my friend's dads passed away and I thought, fuck, you know, I want to go and see my dad. So I tracked him down through Facebook and he was living in Durban and I, I, I connected with the cousins that I'd also hadn't seen in like 12 years or something. And I figured that he was celebrating his 50th birthday. So I got in my car and I drove down to Durban like on a weekend uh, and I rocked up at his 50th birthday and surprised him. Oh my god! After like not seeing him for like twelve years, it was fucking hectic. So how surprised was he? <laughs> he was surprised. Like he didn't he didn't really recognize me. And then like he was very sheepish and shy. And I can ne I'll never like remember like the shock in his like bright blue eyes. Yeah. You know. And we sat on a couple of beers and 
Yeah, I think since then we've kind of re-established the relationship, but it's just very, you know, over WhatsApp, send each other funny pictures and talk about sports. Okay. Very surface. You know, I did a step nine amends to him, you know, for projection and only my stuff. Okay. Which is difficult because I'd, a lot of the time I felt like, you know, what do I owe him? And, yeah. You know, that sort That's of stuff. That's the first thought that went through my mind. You know what I mean? Why? Like if I had to tell my mom and stepdad that, they'll be like, what the fuck, you know? So, I mean, I did a step nine with my dad and he's always maintained the fact that he wants to talk to me about what happened and why he did what he did. and uh, But he never will. Okay. You know, and I understand and respect that. He just, I don't think he has the capacity to do that. Maybe he carries too much shame. Maybe he doesn't care. You know, so that's his stuff. Yeah. You know? So we've got a relationship now, but it's very, very surface based. Okay. Yeah. And he still lives in Durban. He's very sick. He's still in active alcoholism. So. Mm-hmm. so you in Johannesburg with mom and brother, brother younger than you, obviously. Yeah, yeah. He's 30. Oh, he now okay. lives in um, New Zealand. Okay. Then my mom met a younger, a much younger guy, like 10 years younger and um, very emotionally unavailable. Mm. So I grew up with this person in my house where... I tread on eggshells, I couldn't talk to him about anything. It was fucking horrible. Uh, but he was very young and he took on these two kids. I mean, he was 20, 20 years old when he met my mom. My mom oh, was good. 31. Yeah. That's so my mom was a single mom with two kids. I had to work three jobs just so we could eat. And my mom was obsessed with gym. So I never forget, like, <clears throat> we were living in this apartment. In the middle of Santon, right? So there's all this money around us, but we couldn't fucking get two cents together to pay for electricity. Yeah. Freaky. Fucking weird, eh? So, um, well, mom still managed to put us through school, you know. We could never afford aftercare, so we used to, like, play soccer after school. And, like, sports was my life. Okay. Sports was a big escape for me. That was my first means of escaping. And, and fantasy and reading. Yeah. You know? Uh, exactly the same. Sure. Exactly the Powerful, same. Powerful, eh? Yeah, so I played a lot of sports, a lot of cricket, a lot of soccer, um, a lot of uh, sprinting in, in primary school. Went to a, a government co-ed school, very Model C sort of vibe. But we could never afford aftercare, so we used to hang out at school like until 6, 7 when my mom would fetch us. She'd okay. drop us at home and then she'd go and be a waitress at Spur. Like, it was hectic. Amazing. Amazing woman. Fuck it. And then she'd wake up at 3 in the morning or 4 in the morning to like make sandwiches for like a kiosk she'd run in the morning and then she'd go like a day job oh my lord crazy when did she gym oh so the gym thing so she gymmed at a gym like down the road from us uh, down the road from where we went to school went to school in Bryanston yeah it was very stressful because my mom was obsessed with gym and exercise so every morning we'd wake up in a state of stress because we were going to make my mom late for for gym oh yeah and then we'd get to gym at like couple six in the morning school would start at eight so we had fuck all to do for an hour every morning you know so and my mom would just exercise you know and I think that was her sort of way of, of channeling what she was going through yeah. she never turned to drugs never turned to alcohol I think exercise and food okay. was her thing you know yeah. so yeah I mean that was my, my, my early teen years and then I went to high school I was very awkward around kids but uh, so I used sports to kind of be, feel accepted socially you know I know yeah yeah <laughs> And then what was weird is because I'm a sex addict as well, I, the first high I ever got was the first time I masturbated. Okay. I'm very open and honest about my stuff. That's, That's cool. Cool. So that was the first high I ever had, but that was when I was in standard five. Okay. What happened in standard four, my best friend, before I'd even 
What about master or even engaged in, in sexual conduct? Um, my best friend spread rumors about me in the school that I was a compulsive masturbator. Oh my God. Yeah, so I remember walking up to these two girls in the playground the one day and they ran away from me. And I was like, hey, why are they running away? Yeah. No, no, this has been said. So I, I can, no one wanted to be friends with me. And, uh, and it wasn't true, you know, but it's weird because it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. Where oh, I did become, I know, uh, where I did yeah. become like a compulsive masturbator. You know, the greatest self-soother there is known to man, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, so that happened. I lost all my friends. And oh, I remember oh. crying in the car on the way to school one day. Mom, and this was added to like my already low self-esteem. Yeah. The already the rejection and abandonment from my dad and all of this shit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, my brother was had learning disability, so he went to Delta Park. Yeah, it was a crazy times. Difficult. Yeah, it was difficult. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, then I went to high school, it was a fresh start. I discovered I had a talent for rugby. Uh, rugby became my life. Cool. Um, yeah, fuck it. What position? I uh, started out as eight man and then I moved into fullback when I was 16. Okay. But yeah, high school was cool. I was still extremely socially awkward. But again, I just carried on using sports to escape and then I picked up alcohol for the first time. Okay. And that's when my whole social existence changed. Lee and creativity in school, art and stuff like that? Fuck all. No art, no music, Nothing. No. I've always been a... My dad is a musician, so I grew up with uh, Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix, Eric Clapton, okay. Floyd. So music was always a big part of my life, you know. And then I got into like Nirvana and Metallica and, in primary school and then actually got into... In primary school. Yeah, I know, I know. I know. <laughs> and, then, um, and then I got in heavy into underground rap, oh. underground hip-hop. Yeah, and I still... Biggest influence on on my music collection today. Really? Yeah, jeez. But like, I like the darker, edgier indie stuff. I don't like. I haven't listened to the radio in over ten years. Oh my god! Fifteen years. I don't do the radio stuff. Okay. I'm very fussy when it comes. To, I'm a music snob. <laughs> so like, yeah, I'm a music, film, and series snob. But in terms of <laughs> uh, in terms of creativity, I think the first time I realized I was creative was the first time I went to treatment. Okay. But I'll get to that just now. So, yeah. did high school, started drinking. I drank to feel accepted the first time. I smoked weed the first time to feel accepted with the first team rugby because I made first team rugby when I was in standard eight. So oh, all, wow. okay, yeah. yeah. So mm. all the older guys were smoking weed. So yeah. like, Fuck, I want to be part of the crew. And, so instead of being health freaks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, exactly. Yeah. It's government school. It wasn't like private boy <laughs> fucking, you know. Bursaries to lose. Yeah, exactly. 100%. <laughs> High school was cool. I mean, I was very popular. I was very popular with the girls, but I could never approach girls. I so never... mostly because of, of, of the rugby. That yeah, gave, and I was that also... gave you that type of status. Yeah, and also, I always was quite a maverick. I always was quite a rebel. Okay. I used to do things my way. And I used to be, like, really good looking, like uh-huh. a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm saying that with humility, but... Yeah, so, I, you know, I did, like, a lot of modeling and, like, that sort of shit. Okay. And, well, not a lot, a fair amount. You know, so, like, girls always, I, I mean, I, I was at home in December now, and my sister found this box of love letters from my high school. Oh, really? I was going through all of these, like, crashes on me. And, like, and it was just fucking weird, like, bringing back um, all of that, that stuff, you know. But at the same time, I found old home videos of myself that I'd never seen of me when I was 16. Okay. I was watching recently now in December. It's, it's, we're in March. 
And I came across these old home videos of me when I was 16 and I just was a walking, I was just a manifestation of shame, guilt, awkwardness, insecurity. Sounds dark. No, it was, it was, I almost like started crying seeing myself yeah. in this, you know, as this, as this human being, yeah. you know. Um, it was shocking. And my ex-girlfriend was with me as well and she saw us and she was like, what the fuck? Like oh, wow. you needed help. Yeah. Badly. So that was quite an eye opener. So yeah, that was me in high school. Very awkward, reliant on sports. Then I found marijuana. And as soon as I found marijuana, it wasn't a slow process for me. At uh, school still. Yeah, yeah, when I was 17. Okay. As soon as I picked up my first joint, I think I played another couple of games of rugby, but I quit everything else. Quit cricket, quit sprinting. My whole life changed the first time I picked up drugs. I'm in love, I'm in love. Yeah. I'm in love. <laughs> it just consumed me. And yeah. Freddie, you know, the, the, the thing is, like, I didn't enjoy getting high. I didn't enjoy getting drunk. But it just felt better than me being me. Yeah. And that's what changed me. I had a, my first girlfriend when I was 16. We, we lost our virginity together. And that was like a deep, just the most authentic love I think I've ever experienced but it might have just been young love yeah first time I have a very warped perception of what real love is because I thought I was in love before but I realized that it's been codependency yeah so uh, I've got a lot of work to do with that so anyways from high school I mean I had my prefecture taken away for drinking at camp on, on school grounds like I just Mm. Turned into, I mean, I was just a soft little gentle kid, and then I just turned into this um, very aggressive, angry person, you know. And I left school, I just didn't know what the fuck I wanted to do. I went to work in a call center, so I saved up for six months and bought myself my first car, which is quite cool. But after, straight after high school, I went into rehab. Okay. My friends approached my mom, and they were like, Lee needs help. He's addicted to marijuana and alcohol, and I started an outpatient program. And I went to a place called Sharp in Joburg. Okay. Um, was there for about two weeks, then I got kicked off for drinking. Oh no. That was the first time I was introduced to the steps and, you know, sponsors. So you're now 18, 19 years old? 18, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And did you, did you go willingly? Did, did you accept oh, that I, you've got the problem, you need help? Initially, no, but then I bought into it. Okay. I was like, okay, fuck it. So I started as an outpatient and then I went in inpatient. Okay. And at the time it was a secondary treatment facility, so I didn't do primary. I went okay. straight into secondary. But I, but I went for alcohol and marijuana, but I always had this fantasy around cocaine. And that became my drug of choice Is it? Okay. when I was 20. So probably, probably about a year after I left treatment, I, I carried on using weed and alcohol. Okay. But um, I never looked at like Compulsive masturbation and porn stuff. Porn became another massive, massive thing for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah, so... <laughs> I identify. <laughs> ah, because it's like... And throughout my 20s as well, it was so much easier for me to face possible rejection or abandonment with another human being. It was so much easier for me to sit in isolation with the machine. Absolutely. You know, where I could control my fantasies and... You know, no judgment. No anything. judgment, no vulnerability, no intimacy. Fuck no. that. You know, so that was also part of my um, addiction for, for many, many years. You know, I was lonely and high. 
throughout my twenties. You know, I went then oh. after yeah, I went and studied at Vitz for a year, TV production, and I thought, fuck this. I went overseas and I chefed for two years. That's when okay. cocaine became a big part of my life. Came back onto the TV industry again. Got hired as like a junior director for a, a, a big company. Not a big company, but a very prominent company. Did really well. Bought a house with the help of my mom. She's got all her investments tied in there and life okay. savings and stuff. So, uh, so mom, sorry to interrupt yeah, you, no, no, mom, no. mom kind of got, got things together. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so she started making a bit of money, like, I think when I was about 16, 17. Um, so when you went off the rails, mom kind, yeah. of, kind of came yeah. on to it. Yeah. My stepdad she, became a qualified chartered accountant. Uh, okay. My brother finished high school. Um, so things were looking better, you know, okay. a lot better. But that's when I started, yeah, like you said. And then um, the next 10 years of my life, when I, it was just a fuck up. Yeah, quickly, quickly, mm. let's just pause there. Any form of spirituality, religion, whatever, at that you, stage of your life. You know what, so like, I've always been very anti-religion. I grew up in a very non-religious household okay. and a very open-minded and whatever you want to pursue, you can pursue okay. and be supported. So I'm very, very blessed for. My mom's very liberal, you know, it's, we've got a non-judgment sort of way in our house. Okay. Oh, when I was 15, they gave birth to my younger sister. Okay. So she's one of the highlights of my life. Cool. How did you relate to religious studies at school, though? I didn't. So I switched off. Okay. So we used so to just, just a thirty-minute what blah blah. Yeah. You kind of sat and fantasized yeah. about life in general. Exactly. It was like, yeah. oh, cool. What the fuck? Bible studies or some shit. Yeah. I don't know. So I've always had issues with it. Okay. Uh, one of my best friends growing up, his mom was extremely religious, and I just I thought it was the funniest thing. <laughs> fuck. But, I mean, I never really had any specific reason for my resentment. You know, I never had a bad experience at church. Or yeah. I mean, I went to church a few times with this friend of mine. Okay. I've always had this core belief in me that there's a greater force at work. Okay. And that's my higher power today, uh, the great creator. That's kind of how I see it. And it's the creation that resides in everything from your eyes to a leaf outside to a car, tire. You know, everything, like, it's, it's, everything's been created through uh, this, this force. Okay. You know, um, and that's the power greater than me that I, 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 I realized in step two. But it wasn't a realization. It was just kind of, I knew this the whole time. Yeah. I'd been on spiritual workshops to try and get clean. I'd been on meditation retreats to try and get clean. So I've done a lot of work around this okay. sort of stuff before I came into recovery throughout my 20s. Cool. Yeah, then for my 20s, I just used, got in toxic relationships Codependent. I was very abusive to women. I broke my, my girlfriend's nose once. I threw a brick through a window. Mm. I threw my mom around. I stole. I um, lost my job. I lost all my friends. Um, I cashed out my whole life savings. Used it in two months on on drugs. Uh, there's a lot of Complete a lot of eat unmanageable. Yeah, no. That was the next ten years of my life. Okay. Porn, masturbation, drugs, alcohol. I always find it fascinating to hear. It sounds so chaotic, and then, mm. and that also for ten years. <laughs> Such chaos, like for ten years. But we somehow, we somehow survive. Amazing, yeah. <laughs> we are so bloody resilient. It's shocking. Yeah. <laughs> amazing. So I mean, that's in a nutshell. Yeah, you know. And then, what made you come into recovery? So I. I was, I was 29 and 
decided to, I was in a very fucked up relationship for two years. My family okay. hated this woman. She was an addict, sex addict, you know, the sexual things we did were very dark and, you know, it opened up a whole new world for me. Yeah, so anyways, I was with this woman, I'd lost my job and then she kept on breaking up with me and because I'm, you know, I've always been attracted to women who need rescuing and the broken bird and that's my, my, my type, you know. So then... She broke up with me and I fucked out and then I wanted to go into rehab. I went to Heart and House and like the night before I was going to check in, I decided to go visit my brother in New Zealand to try and get clean for two months. I went there, still drank and smoked marijuana and, crossed, and acted out hardcore with porn. But you stopped the coke. I stopped. But you thought coke was actually, the problem. Yeah, I, I did coke for five years and then my drug of choice became cat. Okay. And then the cat that I was using was a mixture of heroin and meth. So... I went to, yeah, I went to New Zealand to try to get clean off, uh, off that, and um, I did, but I just still drank and used and, and compulsively masturbated for four hours a day. Okay. In such a beautiful country, I never explored it or anything. I was still in the grips of addiction. Then I came back, and as soon as I got back off the plane, I phoned my dealer. Okay. And the next three months were hardcore. I moved back in with my folks. Um, I rented out my flat to a tenant who put like six months worth of rent in my account. Mm, and a big mistake. You know what I mean? I still had some of my life savings. So I had like a two yeah. grand a day habit and with no income. It was, yeah. Mm. And then my mom tricked me into a drug test at Crescent Clinic in Joburg. I fucking lost it with her. I was like, oh, this is so deceitful. And How the hell did you do that? Well, she's like, we need to, t- I want to take you to a doctor or something. I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, because I wasn't well. I weighed sixty-seven kgs. Oh my god! You know, and I'm like six foot two, so you can imagine. Yeah. Fuck it, eh? I just went there. She tricked me into this drug test at the clinic because the nurse took me to the bathroom. I don't know what was happening. She goes, "Okay, you need to piss in this cup." And I was like, "Fuck this!" I stormed out. I was causing a scene in the clinic. Eventually, the lady who runs the clinic came and sat me down and spoke to me for about an hour, begging me to come in. And eventually, I had this. I call it my great exhale and it was at that moment and it was that complete moment of surrender where I just knew that I was done. Okay. I'd lost. I'd been fighting for many, many years. Um, White flag raised. Massively. As our green book says. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So that white flag was raised. Yeah. And I'll never forget that moment. From that breath, my whole life changed. Oh, well. And I walked outside to my mom and I said, Mom, I'm coming in. Because she was waiting outside. God, she must have, talk about breath. She must have sighted breath already. It was, yeah, shame. So uh, we then left and then there was complications with medical aid. So I had to, I could only go in a week later. That's the worst always. Once the addict decides I need help. You know? Then then that red tape bullshit happens. Oh my God. Fuck. So, So you were okay still a week later to go in? Uh, yeah, I, I drank and used sleeping pills. Okay. Um, still using sleeping pills for my family because um, I didn't have money for for drugs, and masturbated myself to sleep every night. You know. Yeah. Then it was a week later, and then I knew I've, I got a phone call and said you can come in tomorrow. Ah. Oh. And I never remember. I'll never forget running up to my sister uh, and my mom, just with the greatest joy in my heart, saying I'm going to fucking rehab tomorrow. I was running around the house screaming. Freaky. Yeah. And then that last night I went out and had a bender with two friends. Oh, yeah. And then I walked into treatment the next day high. 
And Eyes like saucers. Yeah, <laughs> I went straight. I had to put my bags down at reception and went straight to the psychiatrist. Okay. And on the on, and then I just detoxed for that day, and then my life began. My new life and. Uh, and the spirituality concept, the God of understanding, mm. was there for you. You knew what it was. I just or did knew. One freak you out like it didn't Not mean? at all. It's. For me, that exhale that I talk about, yeah. my great exhale, it, that was my high powers love for me. Okay. That was the candle that burned within me that was kind of, it just, the, can, the candle was always burning yeah. very dimly though and it just sparked into a ferocious flame. Oh, wow. So, and I believe that my higher power speaks to me through other people. That's for me the most tangible concept for me. So whatever someone did, suggested for me in, in, in Crescent, I fucking did. Okay. I started journaling every night. Something I still do four and a half years later, and I write gratitude lists every night, and I um, I write affirmation lists. Oh, wow. So that's a big part of my my journey, and a lot of the time it's directed to my higher power. Step one, I mean, all the steps have been, you know, uncomfortable to write. Yeah. But the, it's I, I believe that everything we know, we already know, it's like all exists within us, but it's just about tapping into mm-hmm. it, you know? So I knew I had a God of my understanding, you know, I knew there was a power greater than myself. I knew that I wouldn't be alive today if there was a greater force at work. Yeah. You know, and for me, what's so important about gratitude, because I run my whole recovery on gratitude, is it's easy to be grateful for, you know, the roof over my head or my TV or fucking my job. But for me, the power of gratitude comes in when I'm grateful for the negative experiences. So I'm grateful for fear because it allows me to be courageous. You know, I'm grateful for, you know, maybe a toxic relationship that I was in because it's part of my journey and I've grown through that, you know, and that's made me part of who I am today. I actually meant to say that I struggle with the word spiritual and spirituality. Is it? I just think it's like, um, it's just like a very sort of fucking inward at the moment. So you've found it loaded. I feel, no, I don't feel it's loaded. I just feel it's overused and watered down. Okay. Especially in the mainstream sort of, especially with social media and, um, and especially in the media, it's very, it's like people try to sell you Zen in a bottle, you know, and it's like, (laughs) it's like, like, you know, and it's like, I find my spirituality through, okay, yes, I meditate every day. Okay. You know, I pray to my higher power every morning. I get to work and I have a whole ritual. I light a, I light a candle in my office. I, 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 I read my just for today. I hand my power awesome. over. Awesome. Do yeah. you think you're weird at work? I have my own edit suite. Okay. So it's very like, I've got my little Buddhas in there. I've got my trees, oh, like my healing crystals. It's very neat and organized. I've got my readings. When you walk into my colleagues' edit suites, it's just fucking <laughs> cables and coffee mugs and it's chaos. You know what I mean? So I've yeah. lived enough chaos. I just want yeah. serenity and openness and light. So I have a very strict routine that I have every morning. And that's how I connect to my high power every day. And awesome. Have yeah. my all over every day. Yeah. I've got a very strict morning routine. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I believe that is, that is what's it, paramount to my life. Wow. <laughs> that's the most beautiful thing about meditation is that you get into your body and the body never lies. Yeah. I did Zen meditation for quite a while, which okay. is pretty staunch, hardcore sitting in silence with specific rituals and stuff. Uh, but I've kind of broken away from that because, 
because I, I believe meditation is the definition of meditation is just being in the moment. Yeah. Also because my mind is so cooked, it just doesn't stop fucking working. So to quieten it's very Tell me about it. Yeah. <laughs> so it takes a lot of practice yeah. um, and a lot of dedication to do Zen. I've kind of branched away from it, so I've started listening to more gentle guided meditations. Okay. And there was one that I did the other day and it reminds me of the time thing and um the, the woman that you did the meditation said, when you sit down after half an hour, whatever, see it as a gift. See that you, see that you don't have to fucking worry about anything yeah. else. To, you know, and then always at the end of the meditation, congratulate yourself for dedicating that time. Mm. You know, because the time, I'm obsessed with time. Okay, so <laughs> it's like the time thing, you know, it feels like a chore. Oh my God, you know, I, I shouldn't be spending 15 minutes doing my morning check-in with my higher power because I need to get ahead with work. Mm. But, you know, sometimes it's not even about what we do with that time. It's just about dedicating the time. Yeah. It doesn't matter, like, if I want to connect with myself. I have a few different ways of doing it. I can go for a walk. I can write. You know, it doesn't matter what I do in that 15 minutes. But the fact that I'm dedicating 15 minutes of the day to myself, yeah. that's the fucking power Absolutely. of it. You know? That you, you are worth that 15 minutes. Yeah. Like in one time. Yeah. That's what it's about. You know, so just going back to this whole, like... I, I, the word, and I still struggle with the word God as well. Okay. Um, so when I do the serenity prayer, I usually use the word creator or higher power. Okay. Or just skip the first word. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's completely self-world. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Whatever works for you. Yeah, so you know. if you could choose a different word for spirituality, what would it be? Fuck, it's, it's going to be interesting. Let's get that mind going. Yeah, it's because it's such a... It's such a loose word. I mean, what do you connect spirituality <laughs> with, you know? Yeah. It's, um, you know, is spirituality considered a religion thing? Is it considered a connecting with yourself? Is it, is it writing? Is it reading? It's all of it. It's so fucking diverse. For me, if I had to replace the word spirituality, first word that comes, and I've never been asked this question, the first word that comes to mind is connection. <laughs> That is exactly that is exactly what I thought you were going to say. Really? That is so weird. Purely because so many people that I speak to on this podcast, yeah. without a sense of God of religion, yeah. brings connectivity into it. Mm. And I agree. It, it, it's a it's a sense that we develop to be connected with so many aspects of our lives. Mm, it's not just with exactly. us, but with nature, with yes, other yes, people, yes. With, with 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 stuff. With yeah, it's just it's just connection. Yeah, absolutely. So, I'm so with you on that one. That's amazing. Yeah, that was really cool. You said that. Okay, God. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Because I was staring out the window and I was thinking of all this kind of things that are considered spiritual and I thought of nature and I thought of writing and reading and other people for me as I want to mention something about that now but all of that stuff entitles can in, in, entails connection you know whether it's writing it's connecting to your thoughts and your heart and the page whether it's nature you're connecting to rain to leaves whether it's other people going on a date or you, you you're helping a friend move house um, religion, it's connecting to a God, connecting to fellowship, um, 12 steps, it's connecting to fellowship. You know, so it's all its all about connection, man. It's Away from that isolation that, 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 that you said as well. Yes. But for me, the isolation thing was, I grew up in a big family. Yeah. So I was never alone. 
Ja, ja. But ja. I was, I was isolating in my own world. Mm. And I found that still very difficult in recovery. Mm. Is to not disappear. Sure. In, in sociology, they have the term, they call it um, social away. So you're in a social environment, but you're just kind of... Ah. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I, my husband can talk to me for long. And I can say, look at me, I've got no idea what he just mm. said. Oh, pretty just, man. I like, just disappeared. That's me too. And it doesn't have to be a negative disappearance mm. into, I mean, previously it was possibly into sexual fantasy. Mm, mm, mm. But now it's just kind of, my mind just goes. Mm. And I'm not present. Mm. I'm currently busy with a physical exercise of when my husband walks into the room or whatever. Yeah. And I'm busy on my phone or the iPad. I put it down. Mm. I don't keep it in my hand anymore because nice. it, the natural thing is, yeah, he's talking, but I'm not there. Yeah. So the new exercise, flip, yeah. it, flip it over and listen. Fantastic. <laughs> Connection. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. And I'm trying to do a similar thing. So if I'm with someone, I turn my phone off. Ah, oh, cool. No, unless nice. I'm expecting a very organized, yeah. like important phone call. Mm. But if like I go to like breakfast with my sister tomorrow, oh cool! Like I'll, the phone will be off. Okay. Is she in Cape Town? She's just moved on. Oh cool! From Joburg to UCT. Oh wow! And she's gonna study drama, and oh, it's fine. It's so nice to have a blood yeah. family finally in Cape Town, because awesome. basically when I left um, Crescent. Spoke to my counselor. I was like, I, and I want to continue with secondary because twenty one days is not going to be yeah. enough to fucking. But I want to do it. I want to get out of Joburg. I want to go to Cape Town. So I phoned a whole bunch of places, found an institution I wanted to go to, and then borrowed 30,000 Rand from my stepdad, which allowed me a month of treatment in Cape Town and a plane ticket. Oh. So I packed the only bag of clothes I had and flew down to Cape Town, went to treatment for a month, and that's how I restarted Fabulous. my life. Yeah. I sometimes wish we could record the sound of a smile. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> because both of, both of us are sitting here with a smile on our yeah. friends. Kind of, it's so lovely. It's so good to, to make that healthy decision for yeah. yourself. <laughs> it's the greatest decision. <laughs> that's excellent. So mm. that's how you ended up in Cape Town back, that, back home. Yeah, so I, I moved on in 2013. I got clean. And it was weird. I remember I got to secondary. They fetched me from the airport. And I had a fucking handful of clothes. And that's it. And... um Fuck all else, you know. All I had carried with me was guilt and shame, you know. I remember lying on the couch on the first day. It was a Saturday. No one was there. And I just thought, what the fuck am I doing? I'm in the city. I have no idea. I don't know anything about it. don't know anyone. But then I started doing... I did two 90 and 90s in a row. Oh, cool. Oh, wow. Yeah, without a car. <laughs> <laughs> with addictive abundance. You know what I mean? <laughs> I just... I just... I hadn't worked for two years. I got a job. I managed to get into a sober house. Oh, I, wow. I, was, I couch surfed for a while before I got into it. I had a sponsor. How's this? So now this for me is fucking spiritual. So for me, med- spiritual isn't fucking going to meditate for six hours. Yeah. For me, spirituality is, is connecting to other people. How can I be of service to another human being? That for me is the most, is, is, is for me the fucking most, the densest, most intense way of spirituality. I wish I had a video camera to record your body language while you were doing that. Is, that is know, awesome, yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah. for me, yeah, that's, yeah, that for me is the, the, the true sense of spirituality. So you, you were going to connect your sponsor with spirituality? Um, so basically, I'd known the sponsor for like fucking two weeks. Okay. And he like just let me come and sleep in his couch for two weeks. And I'll, I'll never forget that. You know, I mean, I'd, I was like 30 days clean yeah. or like 60 days clean, you know, and, and it was through that compassion and kindness that 
you know, I try to carry forward, you know, so. Yeah. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, then I got into a sober house and then I fucking restarted my life. I had to catch taxis and trains to work every day, then to meetings. It was such an exciting time. Then time passed, six months, and I got involved in a, the relationship, which turned out to be toxic. We got married, then I got divorced last year. So I've been through a lot yeah. in recovery. Yeah. You know, this whole, like, discovering that I'm, like, a sex addict, I've got massive intimacy issues. Was, was that first realization of sex addiction in Cape Town? In secondary, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I went to my first SAA meeting on a Wednesday night. Oh, okay. It was fucking uncomfortable. <laughs> And everyone in the team... My first one was a Wednesday night. Was it? Yes. I was very uncomfortable and very vulnerable. But for me, like, that's growth. Yeah. When you talk about the divorce, the Mm. word that pops into my head Mm. is shame. Mm. Is that correct? Is there an amount of shame? Because you failed. Or failed at something that you wanted? There's a failure. Um, My ex-wife was an amazing human being. And I miss her every day. Okay. She was an addict in recovery and I started acting out with another woman at work. Just emotionally, it wasn't physically. Because I was unhappy in my marriage. And I knew that I couldn't turn back to drugs and alcohol. Okay. But it's a long and involved deep story. Yeah. But I became obsessed with this woman outside of my relationship. And I actually checked myself back into treatment in 20, 20, 2015. Okay. So we met just after that. Yes. I think. Yeah. Yes. At the retreat. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so I went back into treatment. My ex-wife relapsed after six years. Oh, no. And she didn't, she stopped working the program. Yeah, and so there's a lot of a lot of guilt and shame. And, and um, she moved back to the UK. She served me the divorce papers. I had to pay her a lot of money. I had to go to court. But what's incredible is that my sponsor is like an angel for me. Without putting him on a pedestal, like yeah. I know he's a human being. But um, he... He's been my, it's just a different sponsor. I've had my sponsor, Chris, for about, about three years, okay. three and a half years, maybe even close to four. And he's like my best friend, like he's my brother. Like I said to you, I'm the best man at his wedding in April. And like we, we're very, very close. And throughout my whole divorce process, he was there with me. Okay. He was the only person that brought me stuff when I was in treatment again my obsession and okay. sex addiction and love addiction and stuff in 2015 you know he was there with me through every lawyer's appointment I had he came with me oh, shame. it's it fucking amazing yeah. but mm. our sponsors are such amazing connections yeah. spirituality yeah again so how do you feel today about life in general I am having a bit of a rocky morning so I'm a bit despondent but I know that everything passes so I'm really Man, I'm just overwhelmed with gratitude. I'm just, I'm just very, very serene, you know. That's fantastic. I am actually just started step one again. I'm doing step the twelve steps on my childhood and the relationship with my parents. Have you thought about? Oh God, the listeners are just so sick and tired of me with this. But adult children. Yeah, I've thought about it. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. I hear such good things about it. Yeah, I've heard so amazing. Might, yeah. 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 I know it's an it's an option. Next yeah. level of the onion. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, recently, I was in a relationship for about 10 months, an amazing relationship. Loved the girl a lot, but it just didn't work, fortunately. You know, I, during this time as well, I was looking, I've, I'm always open to other things, you know, I've been doing 12 steps religiously for a very long time. Yeah, and well. 
you know, and I got to a point where I'm like, fuck, you know, I'm bored. Uh, there must be other stuff out there. I don't want to sit in another fucking meeting hearing 50 people say I'm an addict. <laughs> it's like these things that like really get to me sometimes, yeah. you know, and it's just, I don't, I, I'm, I'm an addict, but I'm also an amazing brother. You know, I'm a son, I'm, I'm a creative um, you know, I'm all these various things and I don't want to just carry on identifying myself as an addict, you know. You're finding the balance. Yeah, it's taken <laughs> four years. Yeah, but it takes as long as it takes. Fuck, yeah, yeah, man. But, like, I think in the last, say, since my divorce, uh, my whole life has changed a lot. Um, I've become very independent. I went on this uh, nine-month celibacy stint, so I didn't have an orgasm for nine months. No. Nine yeah. No masturbation, no porn, no dates, no physical intimacy, no intimacy. Oh, I did that properly. I did face in the shadows for Dr. Patrick Carr. Did you become emotional in those nine months? There were times of the biggest emotion, I think, was loneliness. For me, during my first period of abstinence on day eight, day nine, mm. I. Oh, God. <laughs> I woke up with having had a weird dream mm, mm, mm. and I went to the bathroom to clean up mm. and I just, the damn yeah. wall broke and I cried for nine months. Really? <laughs> nine months of mourning, of serious, uh, if I didn't cry for three days, it was a lot. But I had to, it, it had to come out. What, what I've been bottling up for uh, all these years potent, had though. to come out. And it did. It was an amazing journey. So when it comes to abstinence, I am very, very pro abstinence. I full blown panic attacks it's from emotions that didn't know where to yeah. go. That, that yeah, was yeah. Flipping amazing. I've gone through heavy withdrawal from relationships. Okay. But just going back to to my journey in the last sort of eighteen months or two coming, you know, eighteen months. You know, it's I, nine months abstinence. I check myself into a sober house. Um, All to keep yourself safe. To keep myself healthy safe. decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I actually became an RA at that sober house. And then I actually just giving the opportunity to run groups. And um, with an amazing woman who's one of my role models in, in Cape Town addictions field. So she took me under her wing. I started running uh, relapse prevention groups with her. And I'd run community sessions at the awesome. treatment center. So I got into this whole like world of of my purpose, you know, I know what I'm here to do. And I discovered that through a, a spiritual workshop that I did when I was about 25. Awesome. I was about a contract with the universe. And, oh, um, cool. Yeah. But, uh, that was an amazing experience. That's excellent. Mm. I went there to try to get clean and I found out a whole other side to yeah. me. Yeah, so I've started, like, got into this world of counseling. So I started seeing clients one-on-one. -on -one. Done a lot of work with Dr. Patrick Kahn facing the shadows. So, yeah, that's, I mean, that changed my fucking mm, life. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah. So, I operate from that space when I'm working with clients. Yeah, I mean, I've just got a new gig at another um, outpatient program where I, I work as a counselor every Monday and Wednesday nights, which that's is a awesome. new blessing. I mean, I've been on this, this fucking amazing 18 months since my divorce. Yeah. And, and it's been so painful. I mean, there were a lot of damages caused by my ex-wife. Like she, I'm not going to take her infantry, but she read a lot of my Face in the Shadows work behind my back. Okay. Which had like some really hectic stuff. Yeah. When I went into treatment during this divorce, my wife read all of my stuff. She told my mom that. Oh my God. So my family wanted nothing to do with yeah. me. Oh no. Fucking hectic. 
so they, they eventually they flew down and we had a joint a conjoint with my sexual addictions therapist okay and i had to sit there and explain to them my sex addiction which was mm. fucking me to my mom and my stepdad oh my god you so that happened <laughs> and uh, i mean it's been it's been a very um difficult time since my divorce but um, sounds very healing though it's been such a healing uh, period you yeah. know I've done radio interviews I've done TV interviews on sex addiction I do massive service in SLA I've just started a new SAA meeting mm. that's spirituality for yeah. me you know that's carrying the message that's it's all about being if your fellow human being man. Yeah. that's spirituality <clears throat> for me oh, yeah, yeah. genuinely at the core I just want to spread the message of you know, love and and compassion and and support, and that's I think that's all we're here to do. You know, and I believe that the whole world is one organism. You know, I believe that the whole universe is all interconnected, and you know, I'm just the manifestation of that. I don't like getting into philosophy and stuff, but like I just I, that's my true true belief. You know, everything is connected, and what is amazing is that I look out the window <laughs> and I see that beauty. Yeah. And I'm connected to that. I'm part of that. I'm part of that beauty. Yeah. You know? And so are you. Absolutely. And so is whoever's listening mm. to this, you know? That's amazing. Yeah. I think on that note, let's end it. Cool. That was fantastic. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, man. You Sorry. Have a most bloody awesome day. I'm going to. <laughs> Fabulous. Awesome, Chief. <laughs> It is at times like this that I really like myself. Yep, I'm making this podcast all about me. You know, Lee is one of those situations where I meet someone and have an immediate connection with them. But due to life being life, one hardly gets the time to sit down and really have a deep one-on-one. Then one day, meet me in the field happens, and I realize that my initial instinct was not wrong. That there is a reason why I immediately felt a connection with him. Listening to his past today makes me feel so much closer to Lee. I sometimes think that I might just have some form of paternal instinct after all. Lee is young enough to be my son and I feel as if I want to wrap him in cotton wool and keep him safe from any further pain. It is not within my power to do that though, but Lee does not need that. He has learned amazing skills in recovery and he seems to really know how to use them. I wish him all of the best the universe can give him. He surely deserves that. If you have any feedback or remarks, please feel free to pop me an email or connect with me on social media. It will be great to hear from you. If you want to know more about what I do, please feel free to connect with me on my website, which is www.freddy.org.za or find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash freddy.org.za forward slash or on Twitter at at Rensburg Freddy. Remember that Freddy is always spelt with an IE at the end. Be safe. Bye.